He knows. That uh, is definitely something that David speaks to today in our psalm. And, and as Heath just saying, it's, it's encouraging for us to know that whatever we go through, uh, that the Lord knows what's happening. And that He is sovereign over all the events of our lives. And we can turn to Him and find strength and find comfort, find stability no matter what happens. And so I want to invite you to open your Bible with me this morning to Psalm 40 as we continue through our series through uh, several passages from the Psalms. Uh, Psalm 40 is our text for today, and our sermon title is The Solid Rock. I remember when I was a kid going to a haunted house one time, and it was your pretty standard uh, fair as you went through there. There were people dressed up in, in masks, jumping out and scaring you and all this, those things happening. But I remember one room we came into, the tour guide brought us in there, and we were all standing around, and he was talking to us about something, and suddenly the lights went out, and the floor dropped. And I remember being scared to death when that happened, not knowing what in the world was going on. Of all the things that was taking place, and all the people in masks and everything jumping out, I think the scariest thing was when the floor dropped out from underneath my feet. And, and if we're all honest, there are times in life where we feel like that happens to us, doesn't it? feels like the bottom just drops out and it happens most of the time when we're not aware or not expecting it and suddenly something happens and our bottom floor drops underneath our feet and that's what David kind of speaks to today in our passage from Psalm 40 is, is showing us where we can turn in those moments and he teaches us that we can find security and we can find sure footing in this life and in the life to come by trusting in God through the Lord Jesus Christ. You must find sure footing in life and in eternity through a personal relationship with God by faith in Jesus Christ, His Son. I want to invite you, if you're able this morning, to please stand with me in reverence for the reading of God's Holy Word. I'll be reading from Psalm chapter 40, starting at verse 1. And David writes these following words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. I waited patiently for the Lord, and He inclined to me and heard my cry. He brought me up out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry clay, and He set my feet upon a rock, making my footsteps firm. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and will trust in the Lord. How blessed is the man who has made the Lord his trust and has not turned to the proud nor to those who lapse into falsehood. Many, O Lord my God, are the wonders which you have done and your thoughts toward us. There is none to compare with you. If I would declare and speak of them, they would be too numerous to count. Sacrifice and meal offering you have not desired. My ears you have opened. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I come, in the scroll of the book it is written of me. I will delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the truth of the fact that you know, Father, what we go through in life, and you know our situation, and you know where our hurts are, and where our fears are, and our uncertainties are. And so, Father, I pray that we would learn to trust in you, as David did, we follow his experience and your word through him that we would turn to you, Father, and trust in Christ 
and find that stability. Lord, my prayer today, if there is anyone within the sound of my voice that has never trusted in Christ, anyone who feels like the bottom has dropped out underneath them, Lord, I pray that you would touch their heart today. Lord, that you would open their eyes, that you would open their ears as you did with David and reveal to them the truth that they need a Savior and that the only Savior is Jesus Christ. Lord, indeed, we pray the Holy Spirit would move in our midst today. Father, you would speak to us through your word that you might conform us into the image of Christ. Make us more like your Son who fully trusted in you, even in the midst of suffering. Lord, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would speak to us loud and clear that we might obey. It's in Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. We read about Psalm 40 here at the very beginning that it was a psalm of David, as many of the psalms are, and we read also it's for the choir director. This is one of those instances, as all of the psalms are hymns, they are songs that were written for the purpose of worship, this specific one, as many of the others are, is directed to the choir director for corporate praise. As God's people would gather together in God's house, as they would sing to the Lord, this was a psalm that was meant to instruct and a psalm that was meant to direct and a psalm that was meant to encourage, as I pray it does for us today. This is an unspecified event and time in David's life, but yet we see that hard times help us grow. How God uses suffering and God uses those moments to draw us closer to Him. And these are also opportunities for us to help others. As David is passing on what he has learned through his experiences, I believe his prayer and his desire is that the congregation would also learn. And that they would follow suit, as I pray we do today. Now how do we find secure footing and how might we stand upon the solid rock? Well, the first thing David shows us to do is praise God for his greatness. The place where we start, the first step, is declaring our affection for the Lord. And that involves, first of all, in verse 1, waiting for the Lord. Waiting for the Lord is a form of praise, a form of worship. We wait upon God. Verse 1, he says, I waited patiently for the Lord. Patience. That's a very difficult thing. It's something we all wish we had more of, but it takes training and it, tra- and it takes waiting to develop patience. It's very difficult. Literally, it says, in waiting, I waited. In waiting, I waited. And so what David is saying is that waiting should be something that is intentional on our part. Something that is not passive, but active. It's not toddler waiting, if you know what I mean. Jaden will come to me sometime with his cup, and he'll say, Daddy, I want some chocolate milk. And I say, okay, son, wait a minute, I'm busy right now. And his response is typically something like this. Uh, you would just think that like, his world is just falling apart. And I'm like, son, you've got to learn patience. You've got to learn how to wait. And sometimes, if we're honest, there are things that happen in our lives. We pray, God, I, I'm asking for you to move. Lord, I need a breakthrough. Father, help me. I'm, I'm struggling financially. Or, or help me with my relationship struggle I've got going on right now. Or God, I'm praying for this, this sickness, this illness to pass. And God says, okay, wait a minute. And inside in our soul, we go, oh. 
But David says, in my waiting, I waited. It's an active kind of patience where you are expecting something. You know it's coming, and you've got to wait. And good things come to those who wait. And it's that kind of waiting, not saying, well, I'm just going to sit here and finally when something happens. No, it's waiting with the expectation that God is going to move. Waiting upon the Lord. And the reason why he is confident in this is because of what God has done for him in the past. He says, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me, and he heard my cry. Literally, God turned to me, and he heard. And God delivered him. And based upon what God has done for him already in the past, he can have confidence now in the present. And that's a powerful lesson for us. If you think back in the times where God has delivered you, And God has heard your cries and answered your prayers. And that should lead us to confidence in the moment, no matter what we're going through. Waiting upon the Lord, waiting for the Lord. But also we praise God because of the working of the Lord. In verse 2, what God does for us. And he gives a poetic description of the messiness of life. He says, He brought me up out of the pit of destruction. And out of the miry clay, the the muck of life, that I was stuck in the mud. Have you ever been in a vehicle where you got bogged down in the mud and your wheels just spun and you couldn't get out? And David's saying, there was a time in my life where I was stuck in that pit of destruction. And In David's day, they would sometimes use a, a pit or an empty well or a cistern as a place to hold prisoners, as a form of punishment. They would cast them down in the pit and stuck in the mud and leave them there for a period of time or sometimes even as a form of execution, leave them there to to rot. And David says, I felt like that, but God, I cried to you and you delivered me. You rescued me. And notice the verbiage in this. Verse 1, about what God did. God inclined to me. He heard my cry. He brought me up out of the pit of destruction. He set my feet upon a rock. These are the things that God did for him. David, all he had to do was simply wait upon the Lord and cry out to God and wait for God to do what God was going to do. And God did these things for him, and God will do these things for you. If you wait upon him, cry out to him, and let God work. It shows also a a form of dependence. Because David didn't say, well, I I climbed out of the pit, I drug myself up out, I I worked it out myself. No, David was dependent on God to do these things. And as he surrendered and waited patiently, God did this for him, the working of the Lord. He is worthy of our praise. In verse 3, we see that praise is about worshiping the Lord also. He says, you put a, a new song in my mouth, a new song because of a new work of deliverance. When God does something new and something fresh in your life, you are prompted to praise Him in a way you've never praised Him before. Because this is a new work. This is a new deliverance. And it should thrill us. And we should want to sing this new song to God. Because this is a new work. And He says about this, He says, You put a new song in my mouth, God. He put a song of praise in my mouth. God did this. God brought about this deliverance in his life so that he in turn might praise God and that God might get the glory. You see, as God did this, 
It prompted David to recognize who he is and who God is. And when God rescues you, he does this for his glory. We read in Revelation chapter 5, verse 9, that when the Lamb came and took the scroll, it says, they sang a new song to him. Because this was a new work. The work that the Lamb did that no one else in all of existence could do. He brought salvation through his death and his resurrection to God's people, prompting a new song. And so when God brings a fresh work into your life, your heart erupts with fresh praise to God, a new song. Worshiping the Lord also leads to witnessing for the Lord. Verse 3 goes on to say, he says, you put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God, many will see and fear. Through God rescuing him and through his praise to God, he says, others see and others learn about God. And others are, are attracted to God's rescue work. When others see God doing a work in your life, they will be drawn to that. And as we worship him with our lips and with our lifestyle, and we sing a song of deliverance, those who need to be delivered will recognize that and say, hey, I want, I want to be able to live a life like that. I want to have that kind of joy. I want a new song in my heart too. How can I go about experiencing these things? Through our worship, whether it be in a congregational setting like this, the New Testament teaches that that does happen, or in your personal life as you worship God, others will be drawn and say, I, I want some of that. I need that in my life. And he says, others will see and fear. What does it mean to fear the Lord? Well, he couples that line with his very next line to explain for us, to interpret. What does it mean to fear the Lord? Does it mean to be scared to death all the time that God is going to zap me with a, with a lightning bolt when I get out of line? Is that what it means to fear the Lord? He says, many will see and fear and will trust in the Lord. The fear of the Lord is trusting in the Lord. That means hearing His truth, acknowledging His truth, and then asking for God to apply that truth to your life. Father, I trust You. I don't like my situation or my circumstance. I don't like feeling like my, my feet are falling underneath me, being stuck in the mud. But God, I trust You. And as we worship God in those situations, others are drawn to that. And so as we are, are worshiping for the Lord, we are witnessing for the Lord at the same time. But also we need to have wondering at the Lord as we praise Him. We wonder at, at who He is and what He's done. Verse 4 says, How blessed is the man. Here is Psalm 1 coming up again. All throughout the psalm, it's out again. Oh, how blessed is the man. How blessed is the man, how, how happy the blessings that this man has. Who is this? The man who has made the Lord his trust. So as you are worshiping the Lord, others are drawn to the Lord, and they experience for themselves that when they trust the Lord, they are blessed. How many of y'all want to be blessed by God today? How many of y'all want the blessing of God in your life? Trust the Lord. It's so simple, but yet so difficult to trust God in those moments where you don't know if I can trust God or not. Just trust the Lord. 
How blessed is the man who has made the Lord his trust, the, the Lord, the covenant God, the God of Israel, the God of the Bible, the God of faithful love. The God of an enduring covenantal love that will never let go. It's that God. Not just any God, but this God. You have made the Lord your trust. And you don't turn to the proud or to those who lapse to falsehood. You don't go seeking stability and trust in anyone else. The people of this world, or even your, your church or your pastor, you put your trust in the Lord the only one who is completely faithful, the only one who will never let you down, the only one who died on the cross for your sins to purchase your forgiveness, that's the one you put your trust in. And you will be blessed. In verse 5, it says, Many, O Lord, are the wonders which you have done. The, the word wonders there, it means powerful interventions of God. Things that lead to astonishment and amazement. We wonder at God. The many marvels and the wonders that He has done. He has created everything. He spoke everything into existence out of nothing. He said it, and light shone in the darkness. And the worlds were created. And the, the smallest of molecules came into being. And He holds it all together. Many are the wonders, God, which You have done. And He goes on to say, and your thoughts toward us. Think about that for a minute. All those things that God has created and all the things, the, the mighty things that God does and yet He still chooses to think of you. You matter to Him. And David says, Many, O Lord, are the wonders that you have done. They're, they are beyond comparison. I can't even count them. They're too numerous. And yet, perhaps the most wonderful thing, the most amazing thing, God, is that you think of me. You know me. Your thoughts are toward us. Lord, you don't abandon your people. Even when we are faithless, God is faithful. And for that, he is worthy of our praise. And we express that to him. Personal affirmation. It strengthens any relationship between you and your spouse or your children or your, your friends, any kind of personal affirmation of appreciation, it strengthens a relationship. And when that is lacking, a relationship hurts without any kind of personal verbal affirmation. And so anytime we express our praise to God, it, it serves to strengthen our relationship. Of course, God doesn't move. But when we express our praise to Him, it draws us closer to Him. It strengthens that relationship. So praise God for His greatness. But secondly, David says we need to proclaim God's goodness. Proclaim. Tell others who God is. And tell others of what God has done for you. Express this praise to God in a proclamation about God. Proclaim God's goodness. And what do we proclaim? First of all, proclaim that your religion is insufficient. Religion is insufficient. He says sacrifice and meal offerings you have not desired. Burn offering and sin offering you have not required. Now these things were all prescribed in the Old Testament law. 
offerings of sacrifice to God. But what God is saying is that merely external religion is not enough. Going through the motions, checking things off your checklist, trying to earn God's favor, it's insufficient. It's not enough. God's more than just the externals. God's looking towards the inside. And David says, the reason why I've learned that these external rituals are not enough He says in verse 6, My ears you have opened, or you have pierced. Literally, my ears you have dug out. Sometimes we say, get the wax out, and so you can hear me, okay? David is saying, God, you have dug out my ears. My ears were clogged up, but you have dug out my ears so that I can hear the truth. You're more than just about external religion. Christianity is not a religion. Religion will send you to hell. But what is important is a relationship. A relationship is important. Verse 7 and 8, we read this. He says, Then I said, Behold, I come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me. The scroll, the the writing of the law. In the Old Testament, we are told that when a king was to come to the throne, he was to keep a copy of the law with him, a scroll of the law with him, so that it would reveal to him the truth about who was really in charge. It is God. The king was the representative of God to God's people and was to lead accordingly, but even the king needed the Lord. Even the king understood the scrolls taught, the law taught, this is who God is. He is holy and righteous. This is who I am. I am a fallen sinner. I fall short of God's glory. And apart from God's mercy, I'm damned. I have no hope. The scroll reveals this about me. David says, You have opened my ears to hear the truth. Your law reveals who you are, who I am. He says, In the scroll of the book it is written of me, and I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. So he said, I'm more than just sacrifices and and more than just offerings. God, you're after my heart. And God, once I understand who you are and once I understand who I am and once I understand what you have done for me, my heart can do nothing else but to delight in you. It's about a relationship, folks. Do you have a relationship with God? Does your, heart, does your heart beat for God? Are you thrilled with the Lord and who He is and what He has done for you? That's what saves you. That's what leads you to do the will of God. It's not doing the will of God that saves you, but being saved will prompt you to want to do the will of God. Out of your affection and appreciation to Him, your relationship is important. And when God saves you, your restraint is impossible. You can't restrain. You can't hold it back. Verse 9, I have proclaimed glad tidings. I have, I have vocalized good news. I have shared the gospel, the good news about who God is and what He's done for me, how God has paid the penalty for my sin on the cross. And how God has forgiven me and set me free because of His work on my behalf. And I claim no other comfort but trusting in Him and His mercy. And he says, I have proclaimed glad tidings of righteousness in the great congregation. 
I have come amongst God's people and I have said, I got some good news, folks. God saves. He has saved me and He will save you too if you come to Him on His terms. He says, I have proclaimed glad tidings. Behold, I will not restrain my lips. O oh, Lord, you know. <laughs> God, you know I'm not going to shut up. You can't shut me up, God, about who you are and what you've done. I've not hidden your righteousness in my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your loving kindness and your truth from the great congregation. Again, in that corporate setting, it's so important that we gather together. It's so important that we express what God has done in our lives, sharing our testimony with church folks. It's always a joy to hear how somebody has come to the Lord and what God has done for them. And it blesses my heart to hear that. And it also serves as an encourager for us. And this is what God did for them. This is what God has already done for me. This is what He can do for me now and going forward. So vital to do that. But as, as David was sharing these things, notice the, the words that he used there. He talks about not being restrained, not hidden, not concealed. He's going to be open about this. He is going to be vocal about this. And what is he, what is he talking about? What is he sharing? He's talking about God's righteousness, Faithfulness, salvation, loving kindness. He is talking about God's love for us. He's not talking about, well, here's how I cleaned myself up. Here's how I got straightened up, straightened out. He says, no, I was down and out. I was in the pit, and this is what God did for me. And He is righteous, and He is faithful, and He is compassionate, He is loyal. And he preserves me by his work, his favor. It's, it's news too good to keep. Y'all ever had anything like that happen in your life? Something good happens to you and you just can't wait to tell somebody about it. I remember whenever Nancy and I got engaged. And I remember coming home that night and wanting to tell mom and dad they was already in bed. And I was like, man, I can't wake them up. So what I did, I took a little post-it note and I wrote on it. I said, are you all ready to have another daughter-in-law? another daughter in your life and left a little post-it note on the table so that way as soon as they woke up and come downstairs that they would see it that they would hear the good news it's good news you, when something good happens in your life you can't wait to tell somebody and when God has broken loose in your life and God has done a work in your life first thing you should do is out of excitement and appreciation tell somebody that's what David's doing here. Proclaim God's goodness. Not your goodness, God's goodness. Proclaim it to others. Finally, you need to pray for God's graciousness. We see a, a personal appeal here. David has spent the first part of the psalm talking about, God, this is what God has done for me in the past. And I appreciate it and I proclaimed it. But now, God, I need you to do another work in my life right here, right now. It's a personal appeal. It is a, a plea for present application. God, this is who you are as faithful and righteous and compassionate. And God, because of all those things, I need that right now. You're my hope, and I plea to you for this. He says in verse 11, he says, You, O Lord, will not withhold your compassion from me. Your loving kindness and your truth will continually preserve me and so we see here first of all David has a humble heart a humble heart he says God I need these things from you God 
The reason why, verse 12, he says, For evils beyond number have surrounded me. My iniquities have overtaken me. And so now we're getting to the heart of this matter, the, the heart of the problem here. The reason why David feels like he's in the pit again. Because David has sinned. And he is experiencing the conviction of his sins. He is feeling the weight of, of judgment on his life because he has sinned against God. Iniquities. What that means is it means your, um, your inner sin nature, your, your inner corruption. David has given in to his sinful inclinations, iniquities. And he says, God, my iniquities have done this to me. My iniquities, they have overtaken me so that I am not able to see. They are more numerous than the hairs of my head. Well, go and talk about God's wonders. Too many to count. And now he says, in, in contrast to God's wonders is my sins. Lord, too many, it's like the hairs of my head. I can't even see. And he says, my heart has failed me. My heart has failed me. He says, God, I, I'm so broken right now. I feel so hopeless. Because I have sinned against you. And I have brought these pains on myself you know sometimes when the when the bottom drops out in our life sometimes it's because of our poor decisions we make bad choices we sin and we suffer consequences sometimes that's that's reality other times things happen to us beyond our control either way whether you have brought this on yourself or it has happened to you unfortunately Either way, you've got to lean upon God. Either way, you've got to fall upon His mercy. Either way, you've got to pray to God for His grace in your life. And David said, even though my heart has failed me, even though I might be tempted to say, well, God won't forgive me, he still comes to God. He understands, if I'm going to have any hope at all, God, you're going to have to do this for me. Sometimes when we sin, we're tempted to think that and say, well, God's just going to turn his back on me and, and we're ashamed. But not David. He has a humble heart. God, I've sinned. I need your forgiveness. I need you to set me free. My heart has failed. God, strengthen me. A humble heart is necessary. But also we see a hurting heart. When your heart is hurting, you cry out to God for deliverance. He says, be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. Make haste, O Lord, to help me. God, I need your help. I'm, I'm hurting. And specifically, he speaks about those who have, who have turned against him. He speaks about his enemies. He says, let those be ashamed and humiliated together who seek my life to destroy it. Let those be turned back and dishonored who delight in my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, aha, aha. He's speaking about his enemies. And the Bible is very clear to us that we do from time to time have enemies in our lives. Sometimes it's the form of, of people. They come and they do things to harm us. They enjoy watching us suffer. Unfortunately, they give in to sinful inclinations and they want to take out their pain on us. And what David does here, he sets this picture for us that when people do us wrong, the reaction, the right response is not do wrong back to them. The right response is to go to God in prayer about them. Say, God, I trust in your justice. 
If they're not going to change their treatment of me, then God, I leave it in your hands. I'm not going to take matters in my own hands and, and try to make them pay. God, I'll let you do it. At the end of the day, you'll do a much better job judging them than I ever could. So David entrusts himself to God's justice. But the Bible also shows us that it's not just people that seek to do us harm. The Bible tells us it's our war that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Even behind people's cruel treatment of us, there is an even greater enemy, a more powerful enemy, a spiritual enemy. Satan and his forces, his minions, they seek to destroy our lives, to rejoice in our hurts. And what we need to do is pray to God that God will deliver us from our true enemy. And the good news is that God has done that for us. David says, let them be ashamed. Let them be appalled. Let them be destroyed who want to destroy my life. And the Bible shows us, we're going to see that tonight in Colossians chapter 2, this very thing. The truth of the matter is that through the cross, God has stripped the enemy. God has humiliated the forces of evil. Through the power of the cross, the, the death of Jesus for our sins, He made a public spectacle of Satan and those who seek your harm. And so what we need to do is trust in God's work and pray to God and say, the work of the cross for me. In light of my enemies that seek to destroy my life, God, you've already put them to shame. And I trust in the work of the cross. And when we read this psalm, we can't help but read it through the eyes of Christ and how he suffered and entrusted himself to the Father and God delivered him three days later through the resurrection and we see the work of Christ and we entrust ourselves to that and we pray to God as David did with a hurting heart trusting that God hears and God responds through his work on the cross on our behalf the final thing we have in this prayer of David is a hungry heart. A heart that's hungry. And perhaps you smell the food in the crock pots down in the fellowship hall even now. And you have hunger in your belly. But David says, a hungry heart is what we need for God. Verse 16, he says, let all who seek you. There are those who seek his life that are evil. But on the other hand, let those who seek you, God, rejoice be glad in you. Let those who love your salvation continually say, the Lord be magnified. And we see a heart that is hungry for God. He speaks about those who seek you and your salvation. He speaks about rejoicing and being glad. He understands this, that when your heart is hungry for God, God fills it with joy. One of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Say, Lord, I'm not happy about my situation, but I still have joy because of who you are and what you've done for me already and what you're going to do for me in the future and what you're doing for me right now. He says, let those who love your salvation say the Lord be magnified. I'm afflicted and needy. 
in spirit. I'm, I'm poor. I'm impoverished, God. I've sinned against you. I've equity in my heart. I have no hope in and of myself. So God, I come to you. I'm afflicted and I'm needy. And he said, let the Lord be mindful of me, God, that you would know my situation. You know my sin. You know my desperation. God, you know my humility and you know my hunger. And he says to him, God, you are my help and my deliverer. I got nowhere else to turn, but God, you are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay. You see the urgency in this prayer. In verse 13, he says, make haste. And now he says in the end of verse 17, do not delay. Oh my God. He says, you are my help, my deliverer, my God. And I'm hungry for you and I need your help. And that's where we find stability in our lives. You can find sure footing in this life. And more importantly, in the life that is to come, in eternity, you can find stability and security by entrusting yourself to the Lord through a personal relationship, not religion, not saying, well, I come to church, I pay my offerings, I come to high attendance day, I make my hair crazy when the pastor says, make your hair crazy. I do all these things I'm supposed to do. I go knock on doors. I do all these works. It's not enough. You need a personal relationship with God through faith. And understanding your need and understanding that only God meets that need and saying, God, apply that to me. And as such, God, I'm going to in turn, out of what you've done for me, express my gratitude through coming to church and Sunday school and offerings and witnessing and all these other things. God, those are an expression of what should have happened on the inside first. A hunger for God. The old saying sometimes is, you know, life is the pits. Sometimes we, we feel that way, but literally that happened to a couple individuals in the, in the Old Testament. Joseph was cast into a pit by his brothers out of their jealousy for him. Jeremiah was cast into a pit because he was preaching the truth of God's word. Sometimes life is the pits because we're persecuted because of our faith. That's the reality. Think about the suffering that Jesus endured. The Bible also shows us that in the day of judgment there will be those cast into the pits. So what do we do when we are in the pits? We see about Jeremiah's story. Jeremiah was rescued from the pit by whom? By, by the king. The king saved Jeremiah from the pit. The same can be true for you. Not just a king, but the king. The king of kings. Jesus. When you put your faith in him. When you love him, you cry out to him for mercy. And you understand the helplessness of your situation. You're sinking in the pit, in the miry clay, and you're lost, and you're condemned. And if no one rescues you from that pit, it is a pit of destruction. But the King, Jesus, can and will save you if you cry out to Him and you cling to Him. It's our final point. Trust Him and treasure Him in your trials trials of life are a certainty 
But when you trust Him and you treasure Him, His deliverance and His faithfulness are also certainties. And He will place you on that solid rock, which is Christ Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we pray for Your grace that You might place us on that rock where we have sure footing, where we might go from filthiness to faithfulness, filthiness to forgiveness, from slippery to stability. And God, we can't do this. We can't climb out. We've put ourselves in there because of our sin. And Father, we need your deliverance. We need your breakthrough. You've done it in the past for others. And for those who are Christians born again by your grace, you've done it in our lives already. And Lord, we need you to do that again today. Father, maybe somebody here today has never cried out to you. Maybe somebody here has gone about the busyness of religion and trusted in their own goodness to go to heaven. Father, show them today, dig out their ears like you did David, and that they would hear the truth that it's more than the externals. It's the heart. It's desiring God above all else. Lord, I pray your spirit moves today in a powerful way. God, there is a work that only you can do. I can't do it. Our neighbor can't do it for us. There's a work that only your spirit can do. A work of power. A wonder. And we pray for that to happen today. That you might appropriate the work of the cross to someone's soul today by your grace, through your faith, or through their faith, for your glory. Father, thank you for your presence today. We pray your will be done. In Jesus' name, amen.